and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family or our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of Revelation, the very last chapter of the Bible. We have been preaching and teaching through the book of Revelation here on Sunday mornings. We come to the very last passage and here we are. And as you're turning there, I want to begin uh, this message with a public service announcement, a public service announcement, because some of you here this morning may be afflicted with something called LTS. LTS stands for Last Texture Syndrome. What is Last Texture Syndrome, you ask? Well, it's the syndrome, the condition that some people have in which they cannot interact with another person online without sending the last text. In normal texting and messaging, one person starts a thought and the next person responds, and when a thought has been completed, everybody can move on. But a last texter cannot move on. They're going to have to send another message to say goodbye. And then if you respond and answer so long, they'll respond with, have a great day. If you say you too, the emojis are coming out. (laughs) It is going to continue until they have the last text. It just is. Um, And that's why I'm alerting you to this dangerous condition, right? Because I fear that one day, two last texters within the life of our church are going to text each other, and then they're going to create an infinity loop of last texts until one of them starves to death and dies before they get back out in life. Don't let it happen to you. Don't be a last texter. You know, when I think about last texters and the ones that always have to have the last word when they interact with me, I can't help but think about how last texting will not work with God. Why won't last texting work with God? Because God always has the last word. Now, as I said, this is our last passage in our study through the book of Revelation, so today we get to see his final word Uh, from the authors of Scripture, his final word to us before he returns, uh, first in the rapture and then at his second coming to earth. So what do we find in this last passage of both Revelation and the Bible? We find a final appeal from God to walk through the door of salvation that has swung widely open for mankind, a final appeal to make the choice that must be made. So Revelation chapter 22, hopefully you found it by now. And, uh, you know, we had some visitors here recently, and uh, they were friends of ours from out of town, and they actually said how wonderful it was when I said turn to such and such a passage to hear those pages turning, those pages turning in there, and it really blessed them as people that love the Word. So if you've got your Bible, hold it up, and if you're going to look at it uh, online, that's fine too, if you're looking at it on your phone, but here's one thing I want you to do if you're doing it on the phone. 
you need to get that app so that when you turn to it on your phone, it makes the sound like the pages are turning. So you'll also be like the rest of us actually turning the pages. Verse 6, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brothers, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And my, have we seen some plagues. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the pro this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So our passage today is the postscript to the book of Revelation. It comes after these amazing visions that John had received on the island of Patmos. So let's take a moment and recap what gets us to this very last passage. So uh, remember that we're going to be going back to Revelation 22, but go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to work our way back to our passage. Revelation 1.1 says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's what the word apocalypsis means. The unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. That opening verse tells us this book is going to be first about Jesus and then it's going to be about the events of the end times that unfold. Some people, as they go to Revelation, only want to go with curiosity about the events that will unfold. But the first thing it tells us is, you're going to get the unveiling of Jesus Christ. You're going to know more about him. And the book tells us this is first and foremost about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And one thing I've loved as we've gone through Revelation is, in the past for me and then in the present for us, and many of you have gone through it in the past as well, 
is that it rounds out the biblical portrait of Jesus, a portrait we should keep in mind when we're praying. So, we at Christmas time celebrate when Jesus left heaven. He was the creator of all. He left heaven and came to earth. And at Christmas, we celebrate Mary and Joseph rocking the baby, and we celebrate the incarnation, the enfleshment of the Son of God. We have that picture in our mind of baby Jesus. And then our thoughts go to what we celebrate at Easter, Christ dying for our sins. We see him on the cross there, uh, marred beyond recognition as he bore our sin, and we see him rising from the dead. We see a 30-something-year-old man. But in Revelation 1 and the following pages of Revelation, we get the final portrait the Bible gives us of Jesus, the one we'll see when he comes riding on a white horse. And the one we see has all white hair to represent wisdom, uh, flaming eyes to represent his omniscience. There are multiple indicators that he is uh, all almighty, that he's the omnipotent God, and it is just a powerful image we get of him. And as we pray, as you pray, that's who you should picture as you go to the Father through the Son. You want to have all those things in mind. That He is the one who will return to earth. He'll deal with sin comprehensively. He will reign on earth for a thousand years and then later have, be with all His people on a new earth. A perfect world without sin. Our passage today is like the grand finale of a fireworks show. It cites eight names of Jesus Christ in 16 verses. So all of Revelation is about Jesus Christ, and then we get that fireworks show. We'll look at chapter 1, verse 3. One of the few places in the Bible you read something like this that is within a Bible book, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So a lot of people shy away from the book of Revelation, but as we've seen, it beautifully brings together all the remaining Old Testament expectations of the Messiah who will reign and all the New Testament prophecies that were layered on top of that. And we're told we'll be blessed, first for just reading it, listening to it, that means looking at what it says. We'll also be blessed for trying to make sense of what it means. And we'll also be blessed for trying to apply it in our life. And there is so much to apply. Uh, there are various end, uh, views about the rapture and there's various views about the millennium. But Revelation, no matter which of those you hold, and I've told you what I have as we've gone along, no matter what you hold, in Revelation you see that you ought to be a praying person because God hears prayers, He keeps prayers, He'll respond to prayers, right? You read that you should do things for God, He will reward those one day. You read about all the great angelic activity that's going on and we can take comfort in that, those ministering spirits that are out there for those that will believe. And so many other areas, Revelation is a blessing to those who hear it and, and try to understand it and apply it in their lives. Now, this promise, this blessing in chapter 1, verse 3, is actually the first of a total of seven blessings promised in the book of Revelation. There's actually two in our final passage for today that we're going to look more closely at in just a moment. Look at chapter 1, verse 19. This was our outline for the book of Revelation. So Revelation also helps you by giving you the basic outline of the book. John hears Jesus tell him, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this, after these things. 
the things that he had seen, that was the tremendous portrait of Jesus he had there in chapter one. The beautiful portrait he gets of the king who will return. And then the things which are, that's the present tense words to the churches from Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It's all in the present tense. It all used, talks about the churches. And that is a portrait of how Christians want to respond to God and the various situations they face. I believe it's a timeless portrait. Those first churches were actual churches dealing with those things. When we put them together, we see the things. And it is so neat to know. Uh, those two chapters make clear that Jesus is knowledgeable of what going on in, in his churches. He cares. He holds the pastors in his hands. He walks among the churches. And so we too, as a body, as a group of people, will give an account one day for how we have served God and worshiped God together here at the tabernacle. Each church was called to an account. Ours will be as well. And then the things which will take place after this and chapter 4 starts with the words after this, and then chapters 4 through uh, just right before our passage for today uh, gives all the things that will take place in the future, starting with uh, chapters 4 and 5 uh, give a great look into heaven. But one thing we need to look at before we continue on is chapter 3, verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 10. 1 John says, the one who overcomes is the one who has faith in Jesus. That if you have faith in Jesus, you're among the overcomers. And chapter, 10, uh, chapter 3, verse 10 says, Because you've kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. As we went through Revelation, I told you I do believe that time of testing coming over the whole earth in the context can only be referring to the tribulation that's referred to in chapter 6 and following. And I think this is an explicit promise that if you know Jesus, you'll be raptured up with the church before that time of trouble starts on earth. And we said if we have to go through it, God will be with us, so don't worry about that. But I do believe that's what that promise is. And then chapters 6 to 18 are all about that time of the tribulation. And I mentioned as we went through the series that there are three purposes of the tribulation that the scriptures seem to give us. The first one is to judge the satanic world system that has ruined the earth. And so it will be that time where the beginning of the end starts to come for Satan and his satanic world system. The second thing that we see in scriptures is it's a time where God will be regathering a spiritual Israel ready for Christ to reign. Multitudes of Jews will be saved during that time and also be getting ready for when Christ returns and reigns on earth. And the third purpose will be to give everyone on earth several last chances to repent before Jesus returns. And then in chapter 19 we saw it with the entire book just anticipates over and over again and the whole scripture does the time where Christ will reign on earth Job thought about it all the way back in Job 19 when he said I know my Redeemer lives and at the last I'm gonna see him on earth Job talks about being in a new body on a renewed earth and seeing Jesus uh, in Jesus's body it's just wonderful to think about and all scripture reinforces that uh, Christ will reign on earth that's what you see in chapter 20 with the millennial reign of Christ and then at the end of that chapter there was the great white throne judgment of unbelievers and then there is finally in chapters 21 and 22 we saw the destination of all those who turned to Christ and that is the being in a new body on a new earth with God forever and ever. And that's where 
the prophecies stopped and where our passage for today begins. So that brings us back to our passage for today. So by now you're all the way back to Revelation 22. And there we're just going to bring to your attention in these next moments the last three things that the Bible impresses on us from the book of Revelation. So God's final word. And first and foremost, it's all about Jesus. He's been talking about it all the way through. You know that John was the disciple that loved Jesus. Jesus loved him. He never got over the fact that Jesus loved him. And uh, he had given his life. All of his fellow apostles had died already, most dying brutal deaths. And uh, here he is. And it just, uh, he's still alive. He still loves Jesus. He got to see him after 60 years there in chapter 1. And we're not uh, surprised by these eight names are given for Jesus in this passage, kind of like a fireworks show finale. Fireworks is coming up, right? July 4th. And uh, John just can't help himself. One more time, he just drops all these wonderful names of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So look at verse 6. He says, he calls him the Lord God of the Holy Prophets. Some of your translations read, the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. And I just think that's so cool. I'm going to come back to that one in just a moment. But look at verse 13. He, he uh, records Jesus writing, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first word of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last word of the Greek alphabet. Some of your real modern paraphrases will say, they'll record Jesus saying here, I am the A and the Z and everything in between, right? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Mm. You know what that means? It means it's all about Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. I love how the author of Hebrews calls Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Philippians 1 says, He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And that is a great promise indeed. Because from day to day we struggle. And from week to week we struggle. And some years are better than others even. But if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, if you've been born again, He's the author. He started it, and he'll finish it. I don't know about you guys, but oftentimes I start a project and don't finish it. I begin it, but don't complete it. I've had a lot more begun things in life than finished things in life. But the scriptures promise that if you're his, he is the author and the finisher of your faith. He's writing a story in your life. And uh, there might be some chapters in your story in the past that you are ashamed of and that you're not proud of. But by God's grace, every new season of life can be a new chapter that the author's writing. And every book's a good book if it has a good ending. And that's what Jesus is doing in your life. Well, look at verse 16. He says, I am the root of David. What does that mean? That means he was alive before David. He was the root that David came out of. He lived before uh, he, he, you know, he lived before that time that he came as a baby. The prophet Micah, that great Christmas prophecy that tells us the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The next couple verses say, his goings forth are from old, yea, of everlasting. In other words, the one that will be born in Bethlehem didn't start in Bethlehem. He goes all the way back. In John 1, we read, he's the one who created all things. There's no higher God than that, right? So, Jesus was able to look at people and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus, because Jesus is God, 
And he came to earth for the specific reason of showing us and inviting us into relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, so saying he is the root of David is another way of saying he is God. But we read here that he's also the offspring of David here in verse 16. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. So if root reinforces that he's 100% divine, uh, he's also the fruit, the offspring of David, it reinforces that he's 100% human. In other words, Jesus is the one uniquely qualified to bring God and man together. As Paul wrote, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So it is awesome what he is and does for us. He himself said he is the door. He said, I am the door. That is the door people enter heaven through. No one comes to the Father but by Jesus. Well, he keeps this name parade coming, this firework show of names of God. Verse 16, at the end it says he's the bright and morning star. You know what our problem is? Our problem is that we make stars of people that are bound for the lake of fire. Revelation has taught us there's room for only one superstar in the Christian faith. You know, you look at Danny Campbell, you look around to each other, we are sure to disappoint each other. But Jesus will never disappoint. In fact, in the next uh, couple months before, in September, I start a series in the book of Colossians, I'm just going to take the time to show Jesus reaching out to different kinds of people. And I'm looking forward to doing that. And he loves people more than anything. He modeled what... God's love would be like if, if, if it was expressed person by person and group by group on earth, bringing people together in Christ. John the Baptist said what should be the motto for all of us in John 3.30. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Say that with me. He must increase, but I must decrease. The final title of Jesus is in verse 20. He's called the Lord Jesus there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, but he's the Lord Jesus. Romans 10 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Now, obviously, it's not just being able to say Jesus is Lord and then not showing in any way that you respect him as Lord and that you're honoring him as Lord and following him. So implicit in that is saying you're the boss now. I acknowledge who you are as God and the rights you have on my life. And so even as I turn to you for forgiveness and salvation, I'm pledging to follow you as Lord. So we have to have first done the mental work and the emotional work to say, I am tired of being the king of my own life. I'm getting off the throne. Jesus is on the throne of my heart from this time forward. The book of Revelation is about the kingship of Jesus Christ over every disciple that follows him. And if you can say he is your Lord and you understand and you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and you have given all of yourself you understand to all of Jesus you understand, then you get to get in on that eternal salvation. Amen? Many people, many people are only two-thirds saved and they're really 100% lost. They have believed the facts and they've been stirred at some level by Jesus dying for them, but they have not given their will to the Lord and said, I will follow you. You're my Lord, I will follow you. 
It's the head belief, the heart love, and the will to follow, even though we'll do it imperfectly. And so if you have remained the Lord of your own life, the very foundation of your salvation is under question. Confess him as Savior and Lord today. Follow him from this day forward. Never stop believing. First and foremost, it's all about Jesus. He's our King. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. We follow Him. Secondly, we read in these verses that we are partners with all believers who have gone before and come after us. Our theme for the book of Revelation is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the ages. And in every age, He's called people to believe in Him and to do what He said. There have been various ages throughout history. We're in the church age now. There's an age or two to follow. But he is the Lord of the ages. All things come together in the person of Jesus Christ. And verse 6 says, he is the God of the spirits of the prophets. He's the Lord God of the holy prophets. That's present tense. So Moses is alive with Jesus right now. Elijah and Elisha are alive with Jesus. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, they're alive with Jesus. And after hearing all of these things from the angel, John was overwhelmed and he started to worship the angel. And of course, the angel says in verse 9, Don't do that, John. I'm a fellow servant. I'm a fellow slave. The word is doulos there. I'm a fellow servant, a slave with you. Your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Now, what a word to John there. He talks about the prophets and what God had done through them. He talks about John and the apostles and what had happened through then. And then he adds a third one, those who keep the words of this book. <laughs> now, if John was overwhelmed by hearing the angel, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by reading John here. I don't know about you, but I personally don't see myself on the same plane as Gabriel the angel. Old Testament saints like Moses and Elijah and apostles like Peter, Paul, and John. But what the angel said here to John is true for each and every follower of Jesus Christ in this room. Do you see it there in verse 9? It says we are fellow servants, fellow slaves with those who have gone before if we keep the words of this book. In other words, what God did in the generation of the prophets, what God did as the apostles walked with Jesus, if God's doing stuff like that in your life now and in your heart as his worshiper as his disciple as his follower your partners with them <laughs> they were then and we are now in fact turn to hebrews 11 so go back to your left a little bit to hebrews 11 now help me out here hebrews 11 is sometimes called what the hall of faith robustly said with johnny's bass voice down there the hall of faith um, I love it, the hall of faith, and it is. It talks about what one disciple after another, both men and women in Old Testament days, did by faith. And we're doing things by faith in our generation, right? So Hebrews 11 has all these disciples, all these disciples who did things by faith. And we're called to do things by faith too. But I love how it sums it up and then rolls over into chapter 12. Hebrews 11, verse 39, it says, All these, who? All the ones they've talked about in chapter 11. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. 
And then it starts into chapter 12. Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, here's the words we said earlier, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I want you to picture this line that the cross is on, the flowers in front of that down the middle. This side, we're still living on earth, and that side is when we get beyond the veil, the eternal veil, and we're with God, right? In, in preparation for all he's going to do future. Those Hebrews 11 saints, by faith, lived their life. And you know some people who have too and are already in heaven, right? They served God in their generation. Now they're on the other side with God. And each and every one of them got to the other side, finishing their earthly race. They did things that God can reward. They've, uh, you know, they're there, and that reward ceremony is coming. And then Hebrews 12 pictures them turning around. And they are cheering on those who are about to cross the line. When I somehow got roped into eating that Oreo concoction that's still in my nose the other day, I kept going because I remembered the perseverance of the young lady the day before who had finished the race and got us the prize that day, right? And I heard all that cheering. And we were cheering on, and each and every believer will come across. And Hebrews 11, the verse there says, verse 39, that... God has them, that, that they are, they're waiting till it's all done. They're cheering us on now. And so I hope you can picture the saints you know that are already in heaven cheering you on as you finish your earthly course and them interceding that you do well. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus Christ himself ever lives to make intercession for us, right? So he is in heaven now. And as great as his death for our sins was, as great as his resurrection from the dead was, the book of, uh, we are told in Hebrews 7.25 that he is, and Romans 8 repeats it, that he is interceding right now for all those that are his. And why wouldn't the saints in heaven also then be cheering on like that great cloud of witnesses? You know some people that are doing that. So we're partners with the original Peter, Paul, and Mary. Paul wrote to the Philippians and told them they were partners with him in the grace they were experiencing and partners in the gospel they were sharing. John wrote to the churches in Asia, and we saw it. He said that they were partners as they persevered in the midst of their troubles together. That's in chapter 1. And partners in advancing Christ's kingdom in the midst of the hostile kingdoms that they live in. And isn't it great to know that if you hear what's in this book and apply it in your life, even though we do it ever so imperfectly before we get to heaven, that you are partners with those who themselves had kind of a mixed record. Last week we talked about David who loved God more than anything and also made some howlers of mistakes along the way. But he was God's man. And we can be God's man and woman too. We confess our sins, we get back on track with God, and we finish strong. Together we all worship God. Together we're partners making our unique contributions to advancing Jesus' kingdom. Well... So as the book of Revelation, and indeed all the Bible, comes to an end, it first reminds us that it's all about Jesus, and then it reminds us that we're partners with all the believers who have come before and will come after us. And then lastly, there's one more time that the appeal goes out to sinners to come to Jesus before it's too late. 
Oh, you know, sometimes people call the Bible God's love letter to humankind. And it is that, isn't it? It's first and foremost about his glory. And he is glorified when repentant sinners take him up on the offer of salvation. But he'll also be glorified by judging those who refuse to repent, who refuse to turn to him. But within that context of him being glorified, he has provided everything it would take for anybody who's ever lived to turn to him and be forgiven and saved. Why does he do that? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent of their sins and look to Jesus for mercy and to be saved. And with all the love in my heart, I hope you have understood that that is God's appeal from cover to cover in the scriptures. It's in every part of the scriptures. The theme of this series has been that Jesus is the Lord of the ages. And so even as we come to this final appeal given here in the end of Revelation, I want to remind you about how the Bible is one appeal to sinners after another from a loving God to choose the eternal life made possible only through Jesus Christ. His holiness demands he punish sin, but the love of God delights in saving sinners. And so Jesus came to earth to say, I will take their judgment on myself so that if they turn to me, they can live forever. Now, if you think about that, I, I love my wife and she loves me. And if I was a perfect man, I'm not, but if I was a perfect man, I could take her place and say, God, take me in judgment instead of her. But I'm not a perfect man. But if I was, I could only do it for one person, either myself or somebody I care that much about. And that's true for all of us. But if God would come to earth and live the perfect life that we, none of us have lived, that we all fall short of, and if God would then step forward and die for our sins like Jesus did on the cross, then because he's God, he could choose to apply what he purchased there on the cross, that redemption through his blood. He could choose to apply that to anyone that he wanted to. And the Bible's made clear that he wants to save you if you will acknowledge and want him to be your Savior and Lord. If you remain a rebel and you hate God then he'll just pass on over you. But with a humble, broken heart, if you'll say, yes, I'm a sinner, save me, Lord Jesus, then you will get in on what every portion of the scripture talks about. I just want to walk through those real quick. From the historical books, Joshua 24, 15, Joshua said, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship, the gods your father worshiped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. It's the choice that must be made. And Joshua said, I've chosen, and I hope you do as well. I've chosen Yahweh. I've chosen the Lord. From the poetic books, Ecclesiastes 12, and talks about all the vanity, all the vain ways we seek to fill our life with meaning, but we come up empty. He concludes his book by saying, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. When it's all said and done, you need to worship God and do what he says. From the prophets, Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel says, this is God speaking through Ezekiel, and to Ezekiel he says, For I take no pleasure in anyone's death, says the Lord God, so repent and live. Turn to me, and I'll turn to you in salvation. From the Gospels, many of you know John 3.16. If you don't, you'll want to look it up later. 
In John 3.36, it says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. So, because of our sin nature and our sin choices, we already stand alienated from God. We're bound for hell. But because of what Jesus did, we can acknowledge him, we can turn to him, and the penalty due us can be transferred to Christ And when that happens, there's forgiveness now. There's eternal standing with God. There's his righteousness counting for you. If you don't turn to him, you remain in the condition you were already in, which is to experience God's wrath at the great white throne judgment. From the book of Acts. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When you turn to Christ, your sins are blotted out and... The rest of your life, those times of refreshing will come from him as you have fellowship with him. From the epistles, the letters, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's saying, you're not faithful, you're not just, but I am. And I've made a deal with myself that when you grasp on to the ancient promises what will kick in is the ancient blessings that are given to those who claim my word. So if you confess your sin, if you agree with him about your sin, and you say, God, forgive me, I want to follow you, I want you to do what you want me to do, the ancient promises of forgiveness and cleansing kick in at that moment. Well, that's what takes center stage at the end of the book. It's the theme of the scriptures. One of the beautiful themes of the scriptures that he delights in saving sinners who turn to him. Look at verse 14. What do we get here at the end? God's final word. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of the lamb. That's why we started by singing, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? If not, the last chapter of the Bible says, come to Jesus. Look at verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit who's been convicting you of your need of God. The Holy Spirit says, come. Come to Jesus. And the bride, that's the church, the bride of Christ. On the other side of all these great visions, it comes back to the present tense, just like chapters 2 and 3. And the bride of Christ says, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, our friends. Come to Jesus, our loved ones, and live forever. Look at the extent of the offer. He says, anyone who is thirsty should come. Anyone who desires to live forever with Jesus should receive his gift of salvation. We're reminded of what Revelation 3.20 said. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. Perhaps some of you have seen the picture of Jesus in the garden. He's holding a lantern, right? It's a painting of Jesus in the garden. And he's standing at a door there. He's got the lantern because he's the light of the world. And he's knocking on the door. But there's something missing from the door. What's missing from the door? Everybody that paints it never puts a handle on the outside of the door. Now, Jesus is Lord. If he wanted to, he could kick the door down. But he said, here's how this is going to work. I've done all it takes to have you with me forever. But I come as a gentleman. If you don't want me... I'm not going to force myself on you. You can go on to hell then. He comes knocking, and there's a door handle on the inside, and we have to open the door and say, come on in, Jesus. And the great 
refurbishing starts as he comes in and he makes the whole house a better place. He makes the whole house a better place. In a moment, if you're here today and don't know the Lord, I'm going to give you a chance to receive him. But, just, but first, a final word to those who are already believers. Three times in these 16 verses, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Back in Revelation 3.11, Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so no one takes your crown, no one takes your reward. And when Revelation uses this word quickly, two things are intended. The first is that when the events described in Revelation begin to happen, they're going to unfold in rapid succession. The world's barely going to have time to read up on what the book of Revelation says because it's just going to be coming one after another when it all gets going. But secondly, the events in Revelation are imminent. They loom over everything currently going on. Now, we're here in this room now, but if in two weeks from now you had an important court date that would determine whether you got to stay at home or determined whether you had to go to a penitentiary for the rest of your life, Everything for these next two weeks, every decision you make, looming over it would be that court date that you have, right? And when he says, behold, I am coming quickly, when he says we should be ready and alert and serving the Lord now so that we can be rewarded and found, not found not serving him when he comes, he, he wants us to think about the imminency of his return and how life is so short, it's just a vapor compared to eternal things and eternity with Him. And so that's what He means when He wants us as believers to know in a good way that it looms over. And so we want to do that which He can reward. We want to please Him. We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Obviously, if you don't know the Lord, it looms over in another way. It means this life, is the only heaven you'll ever know. And after this life, there's hell to pay. So it looms over the unbeliever in the knowledge that if I don't get right, and Jesus starts all these end times events unfolding, then I'll have missed it. Now, I do believe people will come to Christ during the time of the tribulation also, but who'd want to go through that? when you can turn to Christ now and already be getting in on that which he can reward for all of eternity? Knowing Jesus was coming quickly caused John to blurt out in Revelation 22, 20, Come, Lord Jesus! Even so, come, Lord Jesus! Fellow believers, Revelation 22 tells us what our perspective should be as the time draws near. First, we're to constantly be living in such a way that our lives and our lips say to non-believers, Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Experience what He can be and do in your life. And then with great expectation of His rapture, we're to constantly look to heaven and say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. You can only do that if you realize what we talked about earlier with Ephesians 6, that this world is a spiritual battle going on. It's going on all around you. And Ephesians 6 tells us people aren't the enemy. They're the ones we're trying to win with the love of God. We're trying to win to Jesus. The church now is too often lethargic and acting with a peacetime mentality rather than going through the open doors that the Holy Spirit puts before us. But here, at the end of the Bible, here in Revelation chapter 22, here, the last picture we're given, at the end of the Bible, it pictures John and true believers in this spiritual battle, saving everyone we can on the battlefield before Jesus comes and airlifts us out. I think about those images we saw from Afghanistan when they were trying to get that many more people out before the Taliban came in and, and took over. 
And I think about how spiritually something like that is going on. There we are. We're trying to identify people and pray for them and love them into the kingdom. And we're, we're, we're down here and the enemy's closing in around us. And we're looking up and saying, okay, uh, you come to Jesus. You come get us, Lord. You come to Jesus. You come get us, Lord. And we have that sense of urgency as we serve others in his name and love others in his name, knowing the airlift could come at any moment to take all that trust him and want to be with him out of here. Folks, Jesus is coming back. With all the love in your heart, uh, all the love in my heart that I have for you, I tell you, make sure that you're doing what he can reward when he comes if you're a believer. And if you're not a believer, won't you turn to Jesus now? You don't know how many other chances you're going to get. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.